0: The name of your podcast, The Dreading Sundays, really resonated with me because I had an experience with a job where um, it was just it was an awful job and I started really dreading Mondays. So I also had abdominal surgery, girl-related abdominal surgery while I was there, and they questioned whether or not I needed all the time off to recover. It was just awful. So anyway, I am driving to work. On a Monday. Anyway, I'm driving in and (laughs) there's a monster.com ad on the radio that's like, you deserve to enjoy waking up and going to work on Monday mornings. And I started bawling. (laughs) I started bawling. I was like, I have to quit. I have to quit.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreading Sundays. I'm your host, Daniel K. Chung, and today I have Catherine Ong, who I first came across another podcast, The Women in Tech SEO, and I've invited her here because she has an amazing wealth of experience and I think it needs to be shared and heard. So Catherine, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little introduction as to who you are and what you've done in your professional career?
0: Sure. Er, yeah, that was that was a nice intro. Um, so I run a organic traffic consultancy called W.O. Strategies, and we focus on ensuring that enterprise sized science focused organizations get their good science found at Google and YouTube. Um, I've actually been doing my own thing with a consultancy for about seven years. But before that, I built out the online marketing and analytics team for Ketchum globally. So we serviced all sorts of clients Um, I've been in SEO for about 17 years, and I've been marketing forever. I'm one of those weird overachieving, well, when I was a kid, I was a weird overachieving individual. So I planned my first conference when I was 13, and I founded a nonprofit when I was 16.
1: Wait, 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 wait!
0: (laughs) what? Say that? (laughs) Say that again? (laughs) On your face, was amazing. I also have an award named after me that they give out to kids in Maine every year. (laughs) I have the Catherine (laughs) Wachia Environmental Award
1: wow so rewind Mm -hmm. 13 you did what and 16 you did what
0: (laughs) so i was a big 4-her which is a it's a global organization but basically it was founded here in the u.s to um encourage young people to take the science from the university's extension system and actually apply it because they originally tried to get the farmers to apply the new way of growing corn realized the farmers weren't listening but the kids were anyway 4-h is global and it it basically, it's a youth development organization. You can do a whole bunch of different things with it. So I got involved early. I was secretary of my 4-H club when I was seven or eight. Um, because you have different roles, definitely you actually learn achiever, how to run yeah. a business meeting. You know, it's so it's actually great. And then all of the stuff that you learn in relation to yearly reports set you up well to do your taxes and things later in life. Um, anyway, there wasn't a 4-H team conference locally. The biggest one, the one you closest one you go to was in Massachusetts, which was kind of a significant six hours away or so. And I was complaining to my extension agent, why do? Why does it Maine have one? And she's like, well, why don't you plan one? And I was like, um, okay. So I found a hotel. We got a room block. I put together a planning committee. We put together workshops and I had 200 young people show up for a weekend conference. And then by the time I finished high school, um, it became a statewide conference and we were planning it with, uh, ITV back in the day. So this is like pre-internet where you'd like hook up TVs at the different offices of the extension system. And it's because Maine's pretty geographically, uh, far. And so, I mean, it's like 14 hours from top to bottom. And so you would drive to like your closest extension office and plug into the TV, ITV system. And we'd look at each other on the screens and plan the conference. we actually had an ITV hookup between Maine 4-Hers and Costa Rica 4-Hers during that last conference. Anyway, at that point, I'd moved on to like planning some of the national conferences or I was on the youth planning committee for those. Um, And then uh, at the first conference, I met a, they were Costa Rican exchange students there from the 4-H program. So I met a Costa Rican for the first time. And um, my dad was a big environmentalist. He actually started the First Recycling Center in Maine, introduced the bottle bill. Um, and so I was talking to this, ex- this uh, exchange student about how much I love the trees in Maine. And he's like, you should check out the forest in Costa Rica. So I did. And then I got very concerned about the tropical rainforest and its destruction. And so I felt really empowered to do something. And that's the nonprofit that I found. It was called the Rainforest Challenge. And I wrote a curriculum. We did presentations at various schools and community groups. I got coverage on the local NBC, PBS, and NPR affiliate. We became guest speakers at the first international youth environmental summit in Loveland, Colorado. I got ink gifts to go there. I wrote grant proposals,
1: won them. Um,
0: anyway, yeah, I founded a nonprofit.
1: <laughs> wow, at 16.
0: At 16, <laughs> What yeah. was
1: I doing at 16? Uh, let's not go there. <laughs> I didn't even have a good grasp of math back then. <laughs> So Ketchum for those who don't know, what exactly is that?
0: It's part of the it's one of the Omnicom companies. So it's a big global PR firm. So there's like nine offices in China and I don't know, twelve in the US or something. I forget how what the exact number is, but yeah. Big. And, and, and I was their at, first yep. digital marketing hire. So I for the first year I was it globally for all digital marketing and web analytics. Just me. <laughs> i touched 65 clients my first year. <laughs> and, it took, and it took me a year and a half to hire someone senior enough to take some of the workload off. I,
1: I can imagine you as that meme, as that dog saying, it's fine, with the fire burning all around you. <laughs> I know. I know.
0: <laughs> exactly. And then the part that took me forever to figure out is that, you know, I went to school for marketing. So I just told you my whole background, right? So, clearly, I went to my undergrad I actually focus on social psychology, but I was primarily focused on marketing. Masters, also marketing, because that's what I was doing my entire life, clearly a marketer. Um, But I did not realize that if you go to school for PR, you don't get all of marketing. You just get that one tactic. That's your entire life. It's just that one thing. And so you just don't understand, like, mapping the business goals to what you're doing with marketing and (laughs) and measuring things. And so for two or three years of him. I was super frustrated because I would start conversations with cool you're introducing me to whatever client it is ConAgra and I'm like so what are their business goals and I'd get like deer in the headlight kind <laughs> of look like okay what are we measuring here and they're like that's not what we're focused on we just want PR impressions anyway <laughs> it took me a very long time to realize why there was such a big disconnect um so that was a chunk of my frustration while working there. How did you that
1: disconnect? Because everyone finds their own way and some people never do.
0: Well, well, what I didn't realize is that the other thing is, is that PR people, PR professionals, a lot of them start off as interns directly out of college. So they, they do PR only PR in college. They come as an intern into an agency. All they know is that they've never worked in-house, which was also mind-blowing for me, because I worked in-house managing PR people Um, So the amount of like, I don't know, conversations where these junior PR people are like bugging the crap out of their client who probably is in, you know, 12 meetings in one day and has other contractors to manage. (laughs) It just didn't make any sense to me. So anyway, it took me a while to adjust, obviously, to that culture. I didn't realize what kind of culture I was walking into. I mostly walked into it because I really loved my boss and I was following him. So anyway.
1: Awesome. So I'm looking at your LinkedIn at Ketchum and you have the prestigious, prestigious title of VP. What does that actually mean? Vice president, I'm presuming. Not very particular.
0: I honestly don't know whether it's just because of the salary I was asking for that suddenly I became a VP. It's like a combination of salary plus years of experience. Um, and ironically, when I <laughs> – so my journey into Ketchum – Here I am following Tim Weinheimer because he met me when I was speaking at an AMA brown bag and it came up to me after I did my presentation and we exchanged business cards. He just, I don't know, thought something about my personality was interesting and I thought he was great and I really needed to learn more soft skills and Tim's a whiz at soft skills. So I interviewed with him at whatever he was doing before Catchem still loved him, but hated the job he was offering. So I said no. Then he moves over to catch him, but he remembers me. And he's like, hey, are you happen to be moonlighting on the side? Because I just need some brainstorming help on a couple of digital strategies, et etc." et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. So, I mean, it's probably one of the nicest consulting gigs I've ever had. He literally paid me hourly just to brainstorm with him. It was awesome. Um, But one of the things he had me do is right cuz he was swamped he was the one of the first digital anything hires there um and so he had me write the digital strategy portion of the RFP that won them the business promoting electronic health records for health and human services <laughs> for the federal government um and so when they and it's like millions of dollars over 3 years and when they won the business they were basically like we don't know what she put in this proposal <laughs> <laughs> So they kind of had to hire me because they're like paper like what <laughs> quality score what <laughs> they had no idea right um so yeah they hired me but they thought maybe it would just be me <laughs> but anyway that's why I ended up at Catchem I was I was following I was following Tim Weinhaber. and the reason I left is that Tim was moving on to something else and so I left at the same time
1: basically you mentioned salary mm-hmm. let's go straight there because money is you know it is. Why some of us work mostly? <laughs> Can you disclose roughly throughout your career progression what you started on, and you know, at the stage of being VP, what was that salary? What did that salary look like?
0: Yeah, I mean, so I spent a decade in nonprofits, so I like shot myself in the foot from the beginning, from salary perspective. My first job in DC, I came to DC as a paid intern for 4H. And then um, moved over into a full-time position. I want to say my first salary was $33,000. But what's crazy is it was yeah that salary, the next one, which I think the next bump was like thirty eight. dollars That was more than my mom made at the end of her career in rural Maine as a social worker, which is kind of mind-blowing, <laughs> just to put it into context. Maybe mm-hmm. she was underpaid, too. She was a woman. Who knows? Um, and then I quickly found out that if you this is awful, but true. If you move organization, like if you quit your job and go elsewhere, you can increase your salary exponentially. And so one of my jumps was a 30 K jump on purpose. Yeah. 30 K jump. And I went from, uh, I want to say manager to director. Um, but yeah, so I got, I also have, so I have a friend of mine who's actually a, uh, financial manager for super wealthy people, but he also just happens to have really good tips around how to negotiate stuff. So probably almost every single job I've gotten the phone with Joe (laughs) and been like, so how do we do this? How do we play, you know, how do I stack all of the benefits on top of the salary? And do I pitch this job against a different one that wants me, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I want to say it was – so let's see. I went from 4-H, then I went to Youth Service America where I was horribly underpaid, but that was my, like, most favorite job of my entire career because every day felt like play except for one. Every day was a joy. Only one felt like work in three years. So anyway – yes, I was underpaid. And at some point I finished my master's at Georgetown and uh, frankly, I had to make more because of the loans. And I even tried, I was dog walking. I was being trained to be a ballroom dancing instructor. I was trying really hard to stay there and just do a bunch of side jobs to pay my loans. But then it became really obvious that's not going to happen. So I had to leave. It was really sad. Um, But then after that, I just got very smart about asking for as much money as possible. Now, mind you, the next one was it was points light after that. And that was definitely a nonprofit, but I was a startup inside the nonprofit helping sell a SaaS product. Basically just happened to be in the volunteer space. So you're selling volunteer management software plus a website to folks. And so I was head of sales and marketing and it was just me. There was no budget for any help, (laughs) no help, just me. So it was crazy. Um, but yeah, so I rallied for a decent amount of money and then, um, I forget what I did after that in the various different jobs. But I have anyway, I've left jobs in order to double or triple my salary.
1: Which is crazy. And no one really teaches you this. Like you had Joe, which is amazing. But I think most of us go through life without ever knowing what the steps are to ask for more, whether it's at the same place or at the next place. It's kind of this thing that is hush-hush. Like we know it exists, but, you know, it's never really stated how to do it. And especially if you're a minority, you're a person of color or you're a woman, it's very hard to ask for a promotion because you're often overlooked. And I want to explore what your experiences were and how you overcame them.
0: You know, honestly, for various reasons, I jumped instead. Isn't that sad? Um, But it just seemed like less friction to jump. So the only time I managed to get a... I think I got a tiny bump in salary and I got a different title, was at points of light. But that was right before uh, CEO lost a whole bunch of money. They merged with a different organization. They forced everybody to go to Atlanta, which I didn't go. Anyway, so there's all this other drama, <laughs> which is why I left. Um, I don't know if I, my challenge at Ketchum, I possibly should have rallied for more money. I got, I want to say I got a tiny raise at one point. But part of the reason I had trouble was that I, yes, I was managing a team. I had a team of nine. And I can manage people. I've done that before. In fact, before all that, I actually managed an Irving Oil convenience store when I was like 20. I'm like, (laughs) 20 people. So, you know, I've managed. I can do it. (laughs) Um, But when it comes to SEO stuff, I'm actually an individual contributor. I'm a dork. I really like doing it. And so I really had trouble at Ketchum because they really wanted me to, the only like a pathway up was management and management, like heading over to a partner and kissing people's butts and all this other stuff, much I have no interest in doing. It was like, no, I don't want to do that. And they're like, well, what if you did this? And I'm like, don't want to do that either. I just want to do SEO. So I kind of got stuck because I really did not want to, I didn't want to move up at Ketchum at all. It sounded very unappealing.
1: Because moving up meant not doing the stuff you wanted and yeah, exactly. more headaches. Yeah. I mean that's something I discovered along the way too at my agency. Well not my agency, the agency I worked at and am, am leaving. Uh, is that yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of capacity to grow as an IC, although that is slightly yeah. changing these days. And at some point in time, and this is the old engineering slash MBA days, is the only way to progress your career is A B male, be white and, you know, manage people. <laughs> Thankfully, that is slightly changing slowly, for some.
0: <laughs> well, and I loved mentoring people. I helped grow people's careers at them. If you ever have coffee with me, you'll know that's one of the things I'm the most proud of. Um, everybody, that's why I do coaching now. Anybody who I can help add SEO to their skill set, um, especially if it was thrust upon them, which have been some of my coaching clients, where they were not an SEO at all, and suddenly if they have to do SEO. Um, I mean, I've saved people's jobs, frankly, and I've helped them fall in love with SEO and everything about that I love. So that part of the management, I love to catch them. Um, but Pulling me away from actually doing the work that I wasn't as fond of that is really the big takeaway. just want to do the work more.
1: And about the work and, you know, people can learn more about your experience and what you've done in terms of SEO. But I want to dig into one of them. What is the craziest thing you have had to resolve in Ezio? And I'm using that in quotation marks. Whatever that means. I can't, to
0: you. I can't get beyond the most recent one, which you know about. <laughs> so I mean the, the the most recent migration had 150 million backlinks. <laughs> <laughs> right you're laughing like i just can't get beyond that because my head is still like what
1: wait i'm struggling <laughs> just to get three backlinks
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you just uh, i mean we didn't have to map all 150 million we had to map the patterns but still i mean it's just yeah so maybe that i don't know i've i've had i've audited some sites that are just so i've had people tend to come to me as with a lot of SEOs. Hey, I've lost traffic. Why have I lost traffic? Right. And then they come to me and you did like day on to the head. I had one site and the funniest part is, is this, this site and brand my brother used to work at full time. No joke. So we both touched it, which is really funny. He is a consultant. He is an employee forever. So uh, he was on the project and then they switched their web platform and my brother's a web developer. So he was not needed because it was a different code base, but that was part of their problem actually, ironically. So when I dug into it, they had, they had manu- three different manual errors. They had decided to ditch all their copy for graphics. They were on, they moved to angular JS one. <laughs> they had spam commenting that was not handled. Uh, I forget what else but I mean I stacked up like six major major problems including you have to bring back all that copy which is huge and you know it's that was one of those moments where I'm like I don't know how to deliver this audit without like I don't know whiskey or something (laughs) yeah anyway so I've seen some I've seen some strange things
1: Oh, yeah. Also, like Uh. I was very
0: shocked and this was a good learning moment. So all those other SEOs listening to this, if you have an audit and possibly it's like a federal government client or somebody big ish, (laughs) check the subdomains, check (gasps) to see how many subdomains they have, because (laughs) I told National (laughs) Cancer Institute, sure, a lot of your website. And luckily, they were nice enough to be like, it's fine that you're ignoring all this stuff. But um, 150 subdomains on different platforms and different CMS systems. I clearly did not budget for auditing all of those. <laughs> I thought they had one because I didn't know to I mean, there's,
1: there's different methods to finding subdomains. How did you discover all 150 plus oh, subdomains?
0: Oh, Ahrefs is like the easiest way to do it nowadays. Yeah, so just by default, I, I poke over there. So, I mean, the biggest one I've ever seen – actually, that's not the other crazy thing. When I was working on the fisheries division of NOAA – Um, I also was sniffing around for what other fisheries domains there might be hiding in the NOAA architecture. So NOAA has 450 subdomains, the whole organization, and some of them get this, sub, sub, -sub (laughs) subdomains. I haven't seen them stacked that deep. I didn't even, I was totally Googling. Is that possible? I guess it's possible. I had no idea. Why would you do that? Anyway.
1: (laughs) Someone managed to.
0: Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And now we need to ask John, is a sub, 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 sub domain better than a sub, 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 sub (laughs) folder? I
0: think he'd probably not recommend any of them. I mean, some of them had sub, 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 plus the dub, dub, dub. (laughs) Just looks so silly. (laughs) Uh,
1: That's talent to do that. That's amazing. I know, right? (laughs) All right. So we're, we're at the tail end. We're at 20 minutes. So I'm mindful of everyone's time here. And my question is... You've gone through so many different places, different salaries, different job titles. So my question to you is, for someone in your position from your experience, do job titles matter and why?
0: No, um, though what you might need to do is what I needed to do. So I had whatever job title they gave me. But then you're doing all this broader stuff. And the recruiters hated me. But side note, I've actually never gotten a job through a recruiter, so screw them. Um, but what they wanted me to do was like a chronological, just the exact job title that I had, which was just not Illustrative at all, and so I moved over to a functional resume. And anybody listening, I could probably dig up an old functional resume copy of mine. Um, But basically, what you do is you stack all of your expertise underneath the topic. So this is all the strategy work I've done. This is all the email marketing work that I've done. Here's all the SEO work that I've done. And then at the bottom, you put your employers in chronological order. So recruiters really interesting, but it's a much better way of presenting your skills.
1: True. I feel as though my takeaway is maybe have two versions and for the, you know, blanket first tier initial filtering, you have that usual by chronological order of experience. And then, you know, for the people that matter, maybe you have that stuff, the functional one. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, I mean… Possibly. And also, the, I mean, my challenge has always been that I, well, I just told you that I started nonprofit when I was 16. So I'm in, I've been an intrapreneur and now I'm an extrapreneur. You know, so like I don't, I've only in, uh, interviewed a ton when I was in-house, right? That part of my life, probably 300 something interviews at least. And only one was a job somebody had left because it became a standard question of mine. Is this a brand new job? Or was there somebody sitting in this role that you're now hiring for? And only once (laughs) did I get, oh yeah, Jane was in this role and we're looking for someone to replace her. So for me, I have a harder time if I want to go back in-house because I have to find the job where we have no clue what we're doing. We need someone to come in and build it from scratch. That's Catherine. (laughs) And most of those jobs aren't necessarily posted. Those are some that come from your network. So if you like... You don't have a job description yet, and I'll be writing my own job description. Perfect, that's for Catherine. You have a job description. I'm probably not your girl. Is really what I had to figure out throughout my career. So again, the functional resume sort of worked because it highlighted my skills as an intrapreneur, right? Um, not so much as a I need so and so to fill X role. You know.
1: Very good point. And that's hard to like, that's something that you just have to learn along the way is what works for different things. And I'm somewhat similar in the sense that all the job titles that I've had, I've made up myself. Same with the responsibilities. I'm very much like you. I, well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm a pale comparison to you, <laughs> but in the sense of, I love mentoring people. And that's what I enjoyed the most at the agency is teaching others to think about SEO without giving them the straight answer and letting them find their own way. I feel as though that's one of the most important ways of growing, at least in agency life. Um, and I don't know where I'm going with this.
0: No, I was, I, you know, you can save yourself time on your next job search. If you realize that you are, you've are always built your own job descriptions, then it just becomes something that you filter for. Because most likely that's going to be the best place for you. And so when they you're in the interview and they make it clear that so-and-so used to be there, then it's probably not a great role for you because they already have like a cookie cutter of how it's going to be done and you're going to do it differently. And, you know, perhaps that won't be the best fit. Or if you're talking to somebody, they're like, yeah, you know, we just have new budget and we're doing this new initiative. You're like, hmm, your eyes light up. You're like, okay, this is going to be a good spot for me. Um, so for me, it was just I... I used it as a filter to not send as many resumes blindly for things that would never turn around into an interview.
1: And and I
0: double downed on my network, which you should be doing as an SEO anyway. Um, But I realized that pretty much all my jobs would be probably from my network. So
1: yeah. I mean, for someone starting out, how do you, like the end goal of building out your network seems really overwhelming and difficult. So what's your final tip on how do you start?
0: oh, it's not that hard. I'll give you a couple of tips. So one, that's easy for you to do immediately now. It's called Lunch Club. (laughs) So it used to be that it's free. Uh, I could probably give you an affiliate link where you could like sign up or whatever. But uh, basically, it used to be that you do lunch with people. They have AI behind it. And now it's online because of COVID. Uh, So it will honestly could be whatever you want to talk about. In fact, I think I've actually met somebody I really click with just personally. We're just hanging out (laughs) a week from now because we really click. Um, But it could be like knitting, could be SEO, could be new business. Um, I've had only one bad conversation out of however many over the last two years. So lunch club. Um, The other thing is, is that I ran the DC search marketing meetups for the longest time. If we ever go back to face to face stuff. And that is a huge opportunity to blindly introduce yourself to people because you think they're smart and you want them to speak at your meetup. And oh yeah, by the way, I just added you to my LinkedIn network. (laughs) Um, so that also you could be, um, I mean, I did a cold intro to, uh, Will from Sierra Interactive (laughs) because I thought he was really smart. I was heading to Philly. I thought it'd be fun to meet up with him face to face and, I told him he had broken functionality on his contact page. So yeah, you know. Um, so sometimes I just think they're smart people and I connect with them that way. Dan Shore, who who runs the podcast out of Boston, you know, I wanted to just catch up with him, totally did just a blind conversation and connected with him. But the easy ones for introverts are lunch club, perhaps the meetup. Yeah. And then when you are employed (laughs) at a place as big as Ketchum, just get into the habit of like adding everybody to your LinkedIn network while you're there because that will grow your LinkedIn network exponentially because you'll be on the call with somebody from a different office and there's five account people on there and just perpetually add people to your LinkedIn. I mean, it doesn't have to be LinkedIn, I guess, but I think that's probably the easiest way to manage it
1: fantastic thank you so much for sharing your insights catherine it's it's been it's been incredible just understanding the the path that you've carved out for yourself the challenges that you've overcome and you know seeing all those cool milestones you've ticked off since age of 7 actually <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> but you do and, you. That's everybody so cool. who's a parent,
0: put your kids in 4-H. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I do actually think that 4-H made me into who I am today. I mean, blatantly, it did. So there you go. There's my plug for it, the 4-H program.
1: <laughs> As a non-American, I am literally Googling 4-H. And the knowledge <laughs> panel saying 4-H is a US-based network of youth organizations. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Catherine. It's been incredible. Uh, how can people connect with you? LinkedIn, sure maybe. yeah you
0: can find me on linkedin uh i think it's katherine Watier Ong on linkedin so the middle name is w or sorry yeah middle name now w-a-t-i-e-r on twitter it's actually my my middle slash <laughs> used to be my main name so it's k-w-a-t-i-e-r that's uh my twitter handle the website's at w-o-strategies.com um yeah i guess those would be the biggest ones you feel free to also check out my podcast i have two podcasts one which has been very Dormant. Thank you, COVID. I do a daily SEO tips, which is also an Alexa flash briefing, which has been very not daily recently. Um, But then I also do this other podcast, which is still alive called Digital Marketing Victories. Um, So feel free to check that out on my website too.
1: Amazing. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in to Dreading Sundays, and I'll catch you next week.